What impact is IFRS 9 forward provisioning having on banks in light of recent guidance from regulators and the International Accounting Standards Board in relation to the COVID-19 pandemic? Welcome to the first podcast from Global Risk Regulator discussing the latest regulatory topics. With me today to discuss IFRS 9 is Jane Fuller, who is a co-director at the Centre for the Study of Financial Innovation. She's also a fellow at the CFA Institute UK. I also have with me Damien Burke, who is a partner at the Credit Risk Consultancy, Foremost. Now, just some quick backgrounds before we get started. IFRS 9 was introduced following the global financial crisis a decade ago in response to the shortcomings of the previous incurred loss accounting model, which saw banks recognize too few of their bad loans too late. Regulators therefore decided that banks should instead provision ahead for potential future losses based on forecasting. The idea being that once these losses materialize, they would have the capital set aside to deal with them. IFRS 9 actually went live in most of the jurisdictions that recognize it in 2018. The economic and financial fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic is effectively the first major test for this new accounting standard. So Jane, in terms of the banking sector, how do you think IFRS 9 is performing so far in light of the fallout from the pandemic? And have there been any unexpected outcomes from your point of view? I suppose the easy answer is it's too soon to tell. Um, okay. And it's, it'll be quite a long time before we know how it, how it will play out in terms of mounting expected credit losses. Um, I suppose with um, a couple of years of it, implementation behind us, um, you could say that at least the banks have been doing some more provisioning for expected losses under this model than they would have done under the incurred loss model. Um, However, 2018-2019 were still pretty benign years economically, and expectations are cyclical in the same way that loan losses are cyclical. So the banks looking ahead in 2018-2019 would not have had a particular need to have um, significant expected loan loss provisions. So it's better than it was going into the financial crisis, but um, the amount of provisions built up was not that high. And of course, one of the many unprecedented things about COVID-19 is the speed with which it struck. Yeah. So now um, it's been a real... uh, 180 degree turn in the economic outlook and the economic outlook is an important input into the models for expected credit loss models. However, it's so uncertain what the impact will be and IFRS 9 has some flexibility so it's not automatic that if a payment's overdue for more than 30 days you have to book um, a a loan loss. So it's too early to say in that sense. However, uh, obviously, we've started to see provisions um, be ratcheted up because because of the change in the economic la- outlook. Yeah, uh, yeah. Twenty five, about twenty five billion dollars for the top um, half dozen banks in the US, and probably something similar in Europe. Yeah, indeed. And and and, and Damien, what, what what's your take on IFRS nine performance so far? Um, has there been anything that su- surprised you at all so far? 
So I think um, there's, there's been a number of surprises. Um, I think, uh, as Joe mentions, um, the, the actual speed um, of um, COVID-19's impact on, on the economy um, would have been unforeseen by, by anybody. Um, whilst most organisations have at least one downside scenario um, in their uh, forward-looking um, scenarios, um, and, and some have um, uh, an additional very severe one, um, I don't think anybody, anybody would have anticipated the severity um, and, and speed of, uh, of, of COVID-19 and, and, and how it affects um, um, businesses in the UK. Yeah, no. I think the other surprising thing is probably the, the regulation to it. Um, yep. So, um, in the last financial crisis, you know, it, it, it really was a, a financial crisis, um, and therefore um, that kind of flow of arrears and you know um, that kind of real world link between, uh, for example, unemployment um, and arrears straight default um, uh, meant that there was a certain level of certainty. Uh, around uh, the outcome, um, even if it wasn't necessarily um, wanted or, or, or expected. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, um, under the, the kind of current situation, um, I think uh, to some degree um, it, it's actually it's actually more uncertain. Um, and I think banks are are reacting in uh, in, in line with that. Okay, and um, actually that takes us. To, to the second question, and uh, maybe Damien, you, you could start off with, with, with this one answering it. Um, so, you know, what do you make of the provisioning by banks during the first quarter? I mean, those results are pretty much out now. And what might that look like in the second quarter? I'm thinking in terms of maybe, you know, more loss provisioning, uh, you know, loans in stage one, moving to two or three. So, I mean, what's your, your view on that? We've actually done quite a lot of work <clears throat> at Formos to try and understand um, these these outputs, both with our clients and more general industries. You um, and I think the the one thing that's kind of clear is that you know generally um, banks have have towed the line with the um, regulatory guidance and the okay. um, guidance come out from likes of beers, <clears throat> the IAFB, um, and, and also the PRA, um, in terms of <clears throat> not necessarily moving uh, cases directly to uh, stage two, um, just because they've had a payment holiday, for, yeah. for example. Um, and, and they seem to have focused more on um, how provisions are going to be hit by that economic outlook. Now, um, I think most banks have, have essentially suggested um, or, or have reported increases from um, December 19 to March 20 of around um, 20% ranges from sort of 10 to 35. Um, and <clears throat> most of that seems to be driven by, you know, changes to the economic outlook as a, as a direct input to the models or some level of overlay. Um, yeah. I, I think our, our feeling is that there's, there's probably more to come um, because okay. most of those impacts don't consider the the the, um, the effects that, that that COVID-19 will have and uh, in terms of payment holidays and arrears because that's been suppressed to some degree um, and I think there's probably still quite a few things to work out in terms of um, elements of you know cure period um, so once an account in this default under under capital or or um, um, impaired or stage three under IFRS nine. Um, uh, at what level could that could that uh, 
order effectively or, or no longer be considered a default. Because um, yeah. those things will have quite significant impacts on, on both capital and impairment. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and, and Jane, I mean, um, you know, again, I mean, what's your view on, you know, what came out of banks and their first quarter results in terms of provisioning? Um, what, you know, what might that look like in the second quarter in terms of maybe, I don't know, more provisioning uh, and, you know, loans being moved into different stages? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Lloyd's uh, Banking Group, for example, had a nice uh, slide breaking down the its increased impairment charge for the first quarter. The total charge was $1.4 billion, which was, you know, one, well over $1.1 billion higher um, than this time in 2019. As um, Damien said, the biggest thing was the updated economic outlook. Um, but also, one one thing was uh, the, the coronavirus having an impact on on uh, borrowers who already who were already undergoing restructuring, and so that's where you could say, well, you know, um, even without coronavirus, this company would be in problem. It, it would yeah. be in difficulties. So that's sort of easier. But I think um, I think that we're going to see um, fairly heavy provisioning continuing. Um, probably through this year. But one, one of the things that's changed since the end of March is that I think there was still quite a, quite a lot of hope then, and um, pro- this is probably the message from regulators, that it would be a V-shaped recovery. Yeah. I think now it's looking more like um, a U-shape, yeah. you know, with yeah. a sort of fairly flat bottom. But yeah. it's still, again, sort of too early to tell. And I think regulators are very much saying, don't jump the gun, don't go over the top. And of course, um, and bear in mind all the support that governors, governments are giving to the both to the borrowers and you know in terms of liquidity to the banking system and encouraging banks to keep companies, you know, not they don't want banks to starve companies of of cash, yeah. companies that could well emerge healthy and healthy enough to repay the loan over over its life. So it's still. You know, we've got this sort of everything's on freeze, but the economic outlook's deteriorating. So the, the second quarter will have to take some more account of that. Um, one of the issues is bank profitability. So in the US, like the JP Morgan, um, were making um, very healthy profits in 2019. Indeed, so they can yeah. continue to take quite big provisions. Um, you know, uh, they're still making money. Um, in Europe, it's where profitability has been much lower, um, it's, you know, in some cases, some of these losses will tip, some of these provisions will tip them into a loss. And that's yeah. where you've got to look at the capital base. Yeah, yeah, well, well hopefully, um, you know, that's that's been strengthened um, um, considerably, um, you know, the, the sort of for Basel, Basel reforms. Um, okay, uh, well, Jane, um, Maybe you could uh, answer the next one as well. Uh, we'll start off anyway. Um, g- given the unprecedented nature of the COVID-19 uh, crisis and a combination of very sharp economic declines, combined with unprecedented government central bank support, what challenges do you think this poses for banks when estimating expected credit losses and carrying out IFRS 9 provisioning? Um well, it creates a lot of uncertainty. You could say that the good news in that is that there's, there's no point them putting what, what are always precise numbers into the account um, when there's a huge amount of uncertainty. So they'll obviously take they're taking account of the obvious deterioration in the economic outlook. 
Um, but th we don't know. Um, it, it, they won't want to be running ahead of this and putting precise numbers on something, particularly precise numbers that might exaggerate it. Regulators are telling them not to do that. And the other thing is that, again, the unprecedented level of government support for borrowers means that it's very difficult to sort out the, the wheat from the chaff. So take payment holidays. You know, any business in its you know right mind is probably taking advantage of a payment holiday. That doesn't mean to say that not all of them could not afford to pay. Yeah, very true. So you're yeah. not going. You're not going to immediately say, "Oh, you know, default." Um, when it, they're just taking advantage of a holiday, and um, the reg everything the regulators keep saying is, if the long the long term outlook is that this company this sector whatever is going to return to to normal, then you know don't don't um, jump to conclusions to, to very negative conclusions too soon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Damien. I mean, you know, what, what do you make of, um, you know, what what banks are doing in terms of provisioning in, in you know, in what are basically unprecedented, extremely unusual circumstances? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think it's interesting um, um, around the, the kind of government um, uh, intervention and, and and obviously that of the regulator as well. Um, and I think the you know. Um, the increase um, from, um, or to the, the sorry, the extension rather um, of the furlough scheme is, you know, a kind of a critical measure in, in terms of how this is all going to play out. Um, yeah. Because on the one hand, uh, obviously it supports people and um, means that um, people are still able to maintain um, certainly some uh, level of uh, debt commitment um, and also, you know, still contribute to the economy. Um, because I think the that the, the Bank of England uh, issued a uh, not a forecast, um, <laughs> but a, yeah. an illustrative example last week that, that painted a potentially a quite severe picture. Um, uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, that's not the only cost that businesses bear. Um, so businesses obviously have to pay rates to some degree. And again, there's been some government support around that. Yeah. Um, businesses have to pay rent relief, uh, sorry, uh, uh, rent uh, uh, for their premises. Um, they have to pay their suppliers. Uh, they're probably also suffering operational losses in, in terms of um, elements of their stock um, that um, is, is, is perishing or uh, becoming obsolete or, 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 or whatever else. Um, so <clears throat> even with that support, I think there's... Uh, another level of un uncertainty on top. Yeah, yeah. And I think it all leads to um, uh, the, the kind of question of, you know, w what is, um, you know, what is the right outcome um, and what are the circumstances that have driven um, customers or businesses to seek, seek this aid? Um, you know, it, is it partially speculative, i.e. Yeah. they think they're going to be okay, um, but the, the money's on offer and it's a relatively low rate. So, for example, they, they could say, well, I'll, I'll take the payment holiday and come the end of the month when they realise actually they've got very little <laughs> very little else to spend their money on, um, yeah, yeah. they decide to pay down the credit card, for example, yeah. um, versus somebody that um, has, has interacted with the, with the lender in exactly the same way up front and said, you know, I need this payment holiday, but then actually <clears throat> extends their credit. So, so, yeah. so pays more on their on their on their credit card, um, uh, but 
again, that's not the full story because that that person may have you know invested in an oyster or you know put the mattress as money under the bed or or, or or whatever else. So it's very very difficult to tease out what these circumstances are, what the right approaches them for for exiting this, and crucially, what does it mean going forward? You know, what does it mean to you know effectively all of these models that banks spend a lot of money to develop and and, and use. Um, you know, how does that mean that they're going to need to be adapted and changed yeah. over time to reflect a very, very unusual circumstance? Just on the models, because um, we are getting, it's important that the disclosures here are important here. And um, so we're getting, you know, the base case e- economic scenario. So, for example, Lloyd's was assuming 5% fall in GDP this year. Um, but it's a, and a severe economic case, you know, would generate... Um, Seven billion of expected credit losses. Um, I think the danger is that you know actually just saying a five percent drop in GDP for 2020 is that that now looking optimistic. Mm. Um, and then of course there are the, the Bank of England and other central banks. Of course um, have been stress testing, so we, there's information in that as well. So yeah. it, I think it's important that they show their assumptions, and then you or I or um, uh, can or and, and the um, great ranks of analysts can look at it and think, oh, yeah, that looks as though it's um, conservative, realistic, optimistic, um, you know, and play and play around with their own models in terms of, you know, mm. how things get yeah. worse. And, okay. and disclosures are always important, but I, I think you're dead right. I think this, and, and, and actually the results we've seen so far, um, there's actually been quite a lot of differentiation in terms of those assumptions and also how those assumptions are, are, are relayed within the uh, within disclosures. Okay, Jane, um, I mean, uh, just uh, on, on, on sort of next topic, um, IFRS 9, principles-based, uh, I mean, firstly, how much leeway does that give banks in terms of how they can provision? And, and, and this, this is also quite an interesting one. There's been a little bit of criticism around this. Um, you know, do you think there may be need for regulators to provide more precise guidance on how banks should provision so to preserve com- clarity and comparability, which obviously is important both um, to investors and regulators? Well, I think it ha- it has provided flexibility. Um, otherwise, I think the prudential regulators would have um, jumped up and down and done something about it. And I think this is what encourages me that IFRS 9 will will be okay through this, even though, as you okay. said right at the beginning, it was designed to cope with the last crisis, which was to do with loans being recognised um, too late. Um, so I think that um, the... Um, I was just Sorry, I was just going to look at what um, Esma had said on this. Um, yeah. And th- they're constantly stressing the flexibility, the, um, the fact that we, you need to look out two to three years in terms of, you know, how, how the... What might what might happen to the economy? How this particular borrower might perform? Yeah. The level of government support. Don't forget, it's not just payment holidays. We're now getting one, you know, guarantees of loans as well True. from government. So the important thing I think is that um, IFRS nine's um, creating a forward-looking view. We are getting um, more interesting information through that, and we are getting earlier provisioning for loan losses. But it's it's um it's a running theme, you know, and uh, thank good. It's quite interesting that nobody at the moment is saying, oh, we should only have 
um, inter- half-yearly reporting. We're all hang- hanging on the quarterly <laughs> yes. reporting now for updates. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, now it's particularly it's particularly important. Um, okay, uh, and, and what's what's your view on pr- you know principles based provisioning and regulatory guidance so far to in terms of clarity and and and, and sort of driving comparability between what different banks are doing? I think um, I think comparability, and I should, shouldn't really say this as a CFA person, comparability can be overdone. It's actually quite important to be able to see in these uncertain times, some of the different approaches that banks are t- taking. Of course, there's an overall attempt to start to quantify what impact COVID-19 will have on the loan book and on yeah. other asset prices. Um, but reasonable people and actually um, rational models can differ on this. It's very the model's very sensitive to some of the assumptions being put in, particularly on the economic outlook. So actually, I think um, so long as it's clear what the assumptions are, um, some of the differences will tell, us, will tell us something about the management of these banks yeah. and no. about the range of views. So in terms of that kind of principles-based approach, I think it's absolutely right that it is. And um, I don't think, um, you know, anybody knows the internal workings of, um, you know, and, and quality of uh, a bank's loan book um, better than, than the people that are managing it day to day. So I think they have to have the ability to, to make judgments, and, and that, that's very much part of IFRS 9, and um, make assumptions, and, and, and also uh, look at that forward-looking um, piece, and not just understand um, the, the potential severity um, which would be in terms of the, the external severity, uh, also the weighting in terms of the, the probability that that's going to happen, but then also the internal impact on their own loan book. So, um, for example, if you have two credit card portfolios um, and they sit exactly side by side, um, depending on that risk mix um, uh, 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 and, and, and potentially geographic mix and, and all that sort of stuff, um, uh, a rise on unemployment might mean something very, very different from portfolio A and portfolio B. So it, 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 just having a, a, a standard approach to it, you could end up in a situation where uh, actually you can't tease out the, the, the individual characteristics of those loan books and, and therefore you know the overall quality. Um, and I think as Jane mentioned before, um, potentially the... Um, you know the the, the, the the comparability and, and, and how that kind of reflects on the management. Yeah. I know Justin. One of the things we spoke about before, um, and this was the, the, the part of the implementation of IFRS nine, um, and also on stress testing as well. Whether or not there should be um, a kind of a principle based approach where um, organisations calculate their own ECL and disclosures and, 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 and give all the, the information and, and advice around it that they possibly can. And that's their resulting treatment. That's, their, that's the results they release. Right. And also then have a very standard set of rules, almost like a generic industry-wide model, um, you know, model in the loosest sense, um, that, that basically gives them a, a, a comparable set of accounts. Yeah, and, yeah. and actually, the, the use of two, I think, would be incredibly helpful for analysts because okay. I think some of the, the qualitative elements around the disclosures are quite difficult to tease out for, for, for analysts. I think, OK, may, maybe you could go into that uh, a bit more detail uh, a little later. I'd like to 
bring in Jane now for us for our last topic. So, um, you know, let's let's imagine crisis has passed. Um, what kind of revisions to IFRS 9, if at all, might be carried out by regulators? And maybe also in what ways should banks maybe revisit their models for provisioning? Uh, I mean, Jane, what, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, well, I'm hoping that they won't need to alter the accounting standard, that it will effectively have been stress-tested and found to have sufficient flexibility, um, no. but that it will do its job, which is to make um, regulators, investors, analysts aware sooner of the scale, potential scale of the losses. Okay. Although, of course, you know, the, those could still be written back later but that what that means is actually we perhaps ought to stop sort of obsessing with the um accounting standards which are hitting the income statement and think a bit more about bank balance sheets and i'm actually more concerned that that the statement that's frequently trotted out which is that banks are in much better shape going into this crisis than they were before the financial crisis that that is over optimistic banks are still okay. um highly leveraged uh, by many measures, particularly on a sort of gross leverage measure. And if you start to get serious um, impairments of assets because businesses really are going bust and there's no way of, uh, it's not expected any longer, it really is a loss, um, then I think, um, and, and for example, we've seen some quite, some banks have been quite badly affected by the um, Singaporean trading commodities trading company. Um, yes, uh, I saw that. Yes. So, so actually, you're going to start to get those sorts of surprises as well, which actually quite quickly can 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 hit the um, hit, incur losses. So, I'm a bit more worried if as this goes on and on. Yeah. Um, let's hope it doesn't. That actually, you'll start to get more losses, and you, that bank capital perhaps will be exposed as not being as strong as it should or have just been. Just get eroded. Although, I of guess. course, buffers have been built up, so you do have. Once not, you do have buffers to be run down before you actually really get into the territory yeah. where they have to be refinanced. Okay, and, and, and Damien, what, what's your take on the uh, you know future of um, uh, IFRS nine and um, and bank, and also bank models for for provisioning? I've got to say, uh, just on that last point, I'm rather more optimistic in in, in terms of um, you know how well banks are capitalized at the moment um and i think the, the, okay. the buffers are are doing exactly what they're what they're supposed to be um i i, I do agree on that kind of point and i think that will be uh of, of particular um uh important to, to banks that have very kind of niche niche models and, and very niche markets um because even relatively good uh, markets and good portfolios um if, if they're hit by a particular sector of the industry could turn that bad very quickly and that won't really be accounted for in um in, in the risk models uh, per se because nobody expected this to happen um i think in terms of the standard itself i think the standard to me has there is no there is no need for revision okay. um I think, I think it's generally um, uh, generally criticised for being too pro-cyclical, yes, um, and I think uh, a lot of people uh, have criticised it in, in, in light of what's happened recently. But I think that's actually more of an implementation issue. Um, I think you know human nature 
um, very much focuses on, you know, what has happened in the past and, and what's happening now. Um, it, we find it very, very difficult to look forward and, and, and account for good times or bad. So when things are bad, we tend to think things are going to be very, very bad and, and bad for a long time when things are good. Sort of confirmation bias, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so I think whilst there were elements of you know downside going into this, which would already have been baked into the number and therefore the increase should be smaller on the back of that, there, there should also be at the moment people looking forward and seeing the improvement in the economy, even if it is a U-shape, there, you know, for a, for a mortgage certainly, and, and for some longer personal loans, that the, the life of those assets are going to go out beyond what our current view of that um, economic downturn looks like. Yeah. So, therefore, at the back end of that, there should be improvement. So, I think it's more about an implementation piece and 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 trust the economics a little bit more and be a little bit broader in terms of what could happen. So, not trying to you know pitch your tent in, in terms of this is exactly what's going to happen. But here's a number of scenarios that could happen that we need to account for. Right. Okay. Well, um, on that note, I'd like to thank Jane and Damien for taking part in Global Risk Regulators' first regulatory podcast and like to wish everyone listening to stay safe and well. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.